Hello, and welcome to this special edition of MLB Morning Coffee. This is your host, Greg Moraz, coming to you from the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco, California. Because Major League Baseball is on hold due to the coronavirus, and there's really not a whole lot of news to report other than injuries, we've decided to go into a 30-part series. What 30-part series might you ask? Well, a 30-part series that gives the top 10 players of every Major League Baseball franchise. The next franchise in our list is the Colorado Rockies. Founded in 1993, the Rockies made their first playoff appearance in 1995, but when were dry until 2007, a year where they won the National League pennant, making it to their only World Series. They won the wild card again in 2009 and then had an eight-year playoff drought until 2017 and made the wild card in back-to-back years in 2017 and 2018. The Rockies are an interesting franchise, playing in the most hitter-friendly ballpark in all of baseball. They don't have many pitchers that people feel like are icons, but certainly a significant amount of hitters that have made a big impact on the modern game. Joining me to give his top 10 Rockies is a lifetime Rockies fan, one of my best friends, the assistant general manager for the Sioux Falls Sunfish of the Expedition Collegiate League. He is a former colleague of mine with the Helena Brewers. Joining us from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, James Van Dyke. Hi, May. What's good, buddy? <laughs> What's up, Greg? Hey, uh, thanks for having me, man. I'm happy to be here and, you know, talk some Rockies baseball. You are a Denver native. You are a lifetime Rockies fan. You have basically seen it all, even if you can't necessarily remember it all. So give me a sense of what it's been like to be a Rockies fan. What are your expectations from year to year? And how do you feel like the course of the franchise has been set, at least in the modern day? I know that, you know, it reached its height in 2007, making it to the World Series, another wildcard appearance in 2009. And then some lean years while the team rebuilt into this modern core and a couple of years in 17 and 18 where they were as good as anybody in baseball. And I think 2019, it was interesting because the expectations were high and the output was not. Yes, no, indeed. Um, And give you guys a little backstory on myself. Uh, Yes, I'm from Colorado. Um, I was born in 1993. Um, same, you know, same years the franchise got started. Some of the earliest pictures I have of myself as a, as a baby, um, I'm in a Rockies, you know, Rockies uniform. So a uh, lifelong Rockies fan through the ups and downs. Um, I've actually worked for the Colorado Rockies in college, did that for about four years. So I will touch base on that as we go through our top 10. Um, got some, got some cool stories, met a lot of these guys I'm going to talk about, and I'm sure Greg will mention as well. So yeah, you know, it's been tough being a Rockies fan. I, I love them to death. Uh, you know, obviously, I love the long ball. Um, I think all Rockies fans do. I've seen uh, many Concord shots. Um, when I was in high school and middle school, we actually had season tickets to the Rockies. We split them, you know, with a couple families. And um, so I spent a lot of my childhood and growing up there at Coors Field and, and 20th and Blake. So, um, yeah, you know, 2007 was a great year. Even before that, you know, the Blake Street Bombers, um, I, I do, yes and no, remember them. I remember more of uh, the stories my dad told me and um, him wearing his old green, you know, Rockies hat. So uh, in 2007, yeah, went to the World Series, great year. Um, I mean, that's was it was led by Matt Holliday and, and Todd Helton, the classic, and, and the rookie Troy Tulowitzki at shortstop. So great time, uh, super inspirational. You know, I remember being 
with my grandparents watching every pitch against the Boston Red Sox. And um, I still believe to this day we would have won the World Series. We would have beat we would have beat the Red Sox. We were the hotter team, but we actually had to sit and wait about 11 days because we swept the Diamondbacks and then Boston went to Game Seven uh, in the what the ALCS against the Cleveland Indians. So there was 11 days 11 day stretch, and you know in baseball, Gray especially, that throws off your timing, your your pitching, everything cools down. So. You know, that was that was a little heartbreaking, but uh, then also, yeah, a couple great years, you know, after that, 2009, 2010, um, led by Troy Tulowitzki and Carlos Gonzalez. Um, great years, Ubaldo Jimenez, um, talk about him later. Uh, and then, yeah, you know, now, now to where we're at, 26 years, this will be year 27 of Rockies baseball, if you can believe it. Uh, never won a World Series, hopefully one day, hopefully soon, um, but we got some great talent on the team, you know, Nolan Arenado and and uh, Trevor's story, and yeah, I'm ready, Greg. Let's uh, let's hop into it. Before we do hop into it, James, I do have to clarify one point about that 2007 season. How many games out of their final amount of games did they win to end the regular season before they went into the tiebreaker game with the Padres? Was it like 20 of their last 21? It was something yes, absolutely ridiculous. That is correct. 20 out of 21, and then one uh, game 163 at Coors Field against the San Diego Padres. They came back against Hall of Famer um, Trevor Hoffman, who was closing out that game um, on a sacrifice right. I think it was Jamie Carroll, a um, little slapper to right field. And um, I can't think of the stud on the Padres who I think it was Ellis maybe. He chucked the ball into home plate, and that's the famous slide in head first. Matt Holliday uh, gets the big raspberry on his chin. And to this day, he touched the plate. So let's leave it at that. <laughs> It's certainly one of those moments that you'll remember for the entirety of your time as a fan. But, you know, at the same time, it's one of those moments that is iconic in franchise history simply because the franchise hasn't been around that long. But anywho, let's get into the top 10. My number 10, you mentioned him already, is Ubaldo Jimenez, and he's the only pitcher that I have on my list. So Ubaldo came onto the scene big time in 2007 during that playoff run, but his best years came in his next three years with the Rockies from 08 to 2010. 2080 had a 3.99 ERA and 198 innings of work, 34 starts, which led the National League. The next year, he has a 3.47 ERA over 33 starts, 218 innings, and then his best year in all of his career came in 2010, wins 19 games, loses only eight, has a 2.88 ERA, the best winning percentage in baseball, career-high 221 and two-thirds innings of work. He makes the all-star team, his only all-star team, and finishes third in the Cy Young voting. Ubaldo gets traded to Cleveland the next season, midway through the campaign. He really struggled in his time in Cleveland, except for 2013, where he had a 3.30 ERA. Went to Baltimore. He's never really been the same pitcher, but for as tough of an environment as it is at Coors Field for a pitcher, some of the numbers that he put up during his early career are pretty darn impressive. Yeah, you know, uh, Ubaldo, um, you, they used to call him, uh, he was a stud. I mean, he would come out there, he was a young gun, uh, he would throw 95, he'd hit 100 miles an hour, uh, he was impressive, and every single time he took the mound, you know, the, the Rockies felt like they had a chance to, to win those games, and he was an ace. Um, you know, as of right now, I can't uh, name too many other aces out there. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more about, yeah, Hugh Baldo. Uh, he's actually my uh, number nine. So, 
So I guess uh, going into my 10 uh, is uh, DJ LeMayhew. Um, now is a New York Yankee. Had a fantastic, almost MVP caliber season last year. Uh, Love DJ. He was a three-time All-Star, three-time Gold Glove, uh, won a Silver Slugger with the Rockies. Um, 2016 was his uh, best year. Had 192 hits, and he hit almost 350. So super impressive. If you can imagine this guy, he's from Michigan, um, doesn't talk much, very quiet, humble, you know, goes about. He's a he's a true winner, uh, 6'4", you know, second baseman, and um, he was great. You know, he was uh, the term consistency, and I also really felt like for him, he was uh, the glue in the clubhouse. Uh, 16, 17, those great years the Rockies had, getting back to the playoffs. Um, he was, you know, he wasn't one of the big name stars like Nolan or, or Charlie Blackman that people remember, but he was there day in and day out, you know, 155 plus games a year. Um, he would bat everywhere in the lineup, you know, two hole, five hole, he'd hit lead off. Uh, so very nice guy. And um, yeah, great defensive player as well. Played seven years in Colorado. So he is, uh, he's my number 10. On to number nine, and this is really one of your few classic original Rockies that's on this list, and that's Vinny Castilla. Vinny Castilla started his career with the Braves, came to the Rockies in the expansion draft in 1993, and he really busted loose starting in 95, made his first all-star team, hit 309 with a 347 on on-base percentage, won the Silver Slugger Award, hit 32 homers, drove in 90, and then over his next four seasons, he drives in over 100 runs in each of them, hits over 30 homers in each of them, and in the first three seasons of that span, he hit over 40. His best season came in 1998, where he hit 319 with 46 homers and 144 RBI. He won his third Silver Slugger Award, and granted, he was a third baseman and a shortstop, so those are positions where you don't necessarily always find the best power bats, more third base than you do shortstop. Castilla made two all-star teams during his time in Colorado, he left for the Rays after the 1999 season, came back to the Rockies in 2004, and had a pretty darn good year. He led the National League in RBI before leaving for the Nationals in 2005. Vinny Castilla is somebody that I feel like gets overlooked, a two-time All-Star, like we said, a three-time Silver Slugger Award winner, somebody that never won while he was in Colorado, with the exception of that 1995 season, but Again, somebody that established himself as one of the franchise's early elite players. Yeah, and you know what I remember about Vinny Castilla is he had always had a smile on. He uh, he's a fun, friendly guy. I know he's a jokester. He's uh, currently part of the the Rockies coaching staff now. He's been doing that uh, since he's retired, and um, you know he calls Colorado home. So he's a he's a good person. Everyone looks up to Vinny. Great clubhouse guy, um, and. Uh, so I'll get yeah, my number nine uh, going into it is Ubaldo Jimenez, like Greg mentioned. Um, yeah, great time. And, and why he's really on my list is because he has the one and only, uh, you know, no, no hitter in Rockies history and did that in Atlanta um, back in 2010. So. So, yeah, um, I guess we'll go to number eight. My number eight is uh, Little Pony. Carlos Gonzalez. Uh, loved watching Carlo, uh, Carlos Gonzalez growing up. Um, and when I worked at Coors Field for those four years, I remember seeing his wife come in. She was always happy. Uh, they're two kids. And then he had twin daughters. I remember him pushing them in the stroller, you know, getting ready to go on a bus. And um, it was just a great sight to see. Very, very nice guy. He was a three-time All-Star, three-time Gold Glove, two-time Silver Slugger Award. 
winner. Um, he was one of the most complete five-tool players. Uh, he could play uh, back, you know, back in his prime. I'd say he he would play center field, and he could throw out a guy at second, throw out a guy at third. You know, anyone trying to advance on him, you know, no no chance. So uh, he was a very complete player. He played a decade in Colorado. Um, and then, uh, you know, I'd compare his, his swing, Greg, to like Ken Griffey Jr. You know, he, he kind of has that swing. And I don't remember if you, you've seen the video, the highlight. He hit a, a bottom, of the, bottom of the ninth inning. It was for the cycle, and it was also a walk-off, and it was against the Chicago Cubs. And if you've ever been to a game at Coors Field, the Cubs draw great. I mean, they, they draw great wherever they're at, uh, Coors Field especially, but bottom of the 10th. First pitch of the inning, boom! He hit it to the third deck at Coors Field, and so that and that is pre-humidor, or that's a post-humidor, excuse me. So he is uh, Carlos Gonzalez is my number eight. Funny enough, and I'll keep it short. Cargo's also my number eight. One of the more painful trades as an A's fan that I've ever experienced, <laughs> having him go to Colorado for half a season of Matt Holiday, but it turned out to be one of the best trades in franchise history for the Rockies because they traded a Matt Holiday that more than likely wasn't going to re-sign with the A's, or rather, he wasn't going to re-sign with the Rockies after that 2008 season, or rather 2009 season, I should say, and he ends up going to St. Louis, and like you said, the Rockies end up getting a decade worth of great play out of Carlos Gonzalez. Looking at his numbers, his best season was probably 2010, leads the NL in batting average at 336, finishes third in the MVP, wins his first of three Silver Slugger awards, or pardon me, first of two Silver Slugger awards, his first of three Golden Gloves, leads the NL with 197 hits, and like you said, a five-tool guy, a great defensive Mm -hmm. player, somebody that could steal bases when he wanted to, and he never stole a ton of bases, but he had over 20 steals every year from 2010 to 2013, and I feel like that's a guy that people look at as a staple of that franchise because of his longevity. On to number seven, I'm going with the big cat, Andres Galarraga. Galarraga comes to the Rockies the beginning of their tenure in 1993, in his debut season, he hits a league-leading 370 with a 403 on base percentage, 22 homers, 98 RBI, makes the all-star team, finishes 10th in the MVP voting. Some of his power numbers were just ridiculous. From 95 to 97, his last three years with the Rockies, he hit over 30 homers, and he drove in over 100 runs. His best season in all of baseball came in 1996, led the NL win homers with 47, led all of baseball and RBI with 150, hit 304 with a 357 on base percentage, finished sixth in the MVP voting, won his second Silver Slugger Award. During his time overall in Colorado, he hit 316 with 172 of his 399 career homers. I feel like he'd be higher on this list if he had played his entire career in Colorado, but the fact is that Gadaraga was a premier power hitter of the late 90s and somebody that, in comparison to Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, really gets overlooked. Yeah, no, I agree with that, man. Uh, he hit this one home run in Miami, and I think it was in 1996, and it was at the old Marlins Stadium. And I think it's still going, Greg. I don't think that ball has landed. I mean, it was a moonshot, uh, to say the least. And, yeah, you know, I believe if, if he played his whole career or even two-thirds of his career um, in Colorado, I mean – he, he would have been probably 
550 plus 600, you know, home run club, he could hit, he could crush. And he, you know, every time you saw him in the lineup, people were scared, you know, pitchers, they, they circled his name on the lineup card and were like, this guy, I can't let him beat me. So yeah. Uh, the big cat, he, he was, he was great. Uh, my number seven is my favorite Rockies player of all time is uh, Troy Tulowitzki. Um, Tulo, Tulo was actually a nickname I had in high school as well. I followed this guy. Um, you know, I loved his career. California guy like yourself, Greg. He, um, I had a fat head of him in my room. Um, I remember one. I have a couple stories about Tulo. If I if I can tell them real quick. Go um, ahead. This that's what I, this platform is for, man. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, when I was in high school, I was a sophomore playing um, in a varsity basketball game, and it was great. We were playing our rivals, and it was our last game ever we were going to play in our old gymnasium while a new one was being built right next door. So uh, I got subbed in. We were winning, you know, probably by like 11 or 12, and I got subbed in with with seconds left. Um, I get the inbound. I get fouled. So great, you know, they're in the foul trouble. I get to shoot some free throws. And I remember walking up to the line, you know, I'm shaking and, you know, we're going to win this game. We're at home and, and everyone, everyone in the stands, they got up and they did the too low chant, which was too low. And it just, it felt like it rocked the house and it was, it was great. You know, it was like the whole, the whole world was kind of watching me at that time. And even though there's probably only a couple thousand in the gym, it still was super, super special. So Everyone knew I loved Tulo. Uh, even growing up, I was always trying to play shortstop. I was a better um, corner infielder and catcher than I was a shortstop. But I loved I loved his work ethic. I loved his swagger. You know, I grew my hair out in high school because he had some long hair, you know, coming into the league. And um, my last story real quick, uh, before Tulo got traded, uh, I was working at Coors Field. And this was the homestand when they were leaving. So, I remember he had a great home stand. He hit like three home runs, and this was Sunday afternoon. We used to also um, – I was a field guard, so going back with my job for the Rockies, uh, I started out as an usher in 2013, and this was just uh, – it was an entry-level job. Wanted to get into the business. And then in uh, 2014, 2015, 2016, I uh, moved down to the field as a field guard, which was great. So I got a lot of TV time. Uh, I have pictures of – um, actually, Matt Holiday, who got hurt when as a St. Louis Cardinal, he dove for a ball in the outfield. I had a call in the the cart for him, and I was on TV. Me, Matt Carpenter, Mark Reynolds, kind of cool, another Rocky. And uh, <clears throat> anyways, long story short, Tula was leaving that Sunday. I remember uh, we would do the TSA, and when they were walking out, you know, Tula had his shades on, his, his earplugs in, so did the other guys. And, you know, we'd always give them nucks, you know, hey, good luck, you know, go kick their butt. You got this. And while they're getting on the bus, soon to, soon to be told that that next day they're in Chicago, I think it was a Monday night, and Tulo gets traded during the game. <laughs> I remember watching that, and I was like, you got to be kidding me. I just said goodbye to this guy, you know? And, and you know, to me, there was there was lots of other field guards. I, I could have been, you know, whoever to, to Tulo, but that was something special. And actually, real quick, Greg, I got to get this out there, too. Um, back in 2015, I have this Sports Illustrated hanging up on my wall. Uh, Troy Tulowitzki, he was having an MVP caliber season, uh, just crushing it. He was hitting like 340. Everything he was hitting was, you know, going out of Coors Field, uh, truth be told. And he was just crushing the ball. So uh, he was on the front page of this magazine. And in the middle, when you open it up, 
it reads his uh, his old walk up song, and it was he's the man, he's the man, he's the man. So it'd just play that over and over again. And in the middle of this magazine, there's a picture of Tulo at bat. He's swinging and he's hitting this baseball. Um, and it's it's uh, if you can picture it, it's a picture taken towards the visiting dugout. So in the visiting dugout, that's where the San Francisco Giants are at. That's who we were playing that day, um, Greg. <laughs> and, uh, anyways, I'm sitting in the dugout at the very end because that was one of the stations we worked. So there's a picture of my childhood idol, Troy Tulowitzki, myself, who I'm just, you know, it's me and there's other fans, but I'm sitting in the dugout, clear as day, in this Sports Illustrated magazine, and I, I still can't believe it to this day. But before Tulo was traded, I actually um, asked uh, Mike, who is the, the head clubhouse guy in Colorado still, and he he got Tulo to sign that for me. Um, so I have an autographed Tulo Sports Illustrated magazine that's that's hanging up here. Um, I'll take it with me wherever I go. But it's just uh, it's it's special to me, you know, in a lot of ways. And um, there goes my rant about Troy Tulowitzki. Uh, real quick, <laughs> we'll we'll, we'll We'll focus on the more important stuff. Uh, 2007, yeah, he was a, the rookie, the phenom shortstop coming when we went to the, the World Series. Five-time All-Star, two-time Gold Glover, uh, two-time Silver Slugger. He played another decade in Colorado. And fun fact too, Greg, he was second in the year, or he was second in Rookie of the Year votes. To who, Greg? Do you know? Back in 2007? Ryan Braun. Yes, Ryan Braun. Now, Helena Brewer, Ryan Braun. Yeah, that uh, gives you a pretty good idea of how good that rookie class was. My number six, since I was moving on to number six, was also Troy Tulowitzki. So I'll just highlight a couple of the stats for you here. Tulo was a five-time All-Star, two-time Gold Glover, two-time Silver Slugger Award winner. His best season in terms of run producing came in 2011. 30 homers, 105 RBI, a 302 average, finished eighth in the MVP voting. In 2009, he hit 32 homers, 92 driven in with a 297 average, fifth in the MVP voting, and I bring that up because the Rockies made the playoffs that season. Overall, in his time in Colorado, he hit 299 over 10 seasons. He's one of those guys, James, that I feel like if it weren't for injuries toward the back end of his career, and obviously the injuries started during the middle of his career, he only played 47 games in 2012, I feel like we'd be talking about him in a much different light. But, you know, you wonder on some of those athletes, I think about this with Derrick Rose with the Chicago Bulls all the time, one of those what-could-have-been type of situations. Yeah, no, no doubt about it, you know. But the thing about Tulo, I remember he always had, yeah, kind of nagging groin injuries, uh, lower body injuries, and um, but he would fight through it, you know. He he would do his best to get on the field. Um, Yeah, I did land him on the, the disabled list a couple times. Um, I don't think it's called that anymore, but um, yeah, he w- he was always out there working. You know, he gave it 110, and and he showed it all the time. Uh, he he always carried a serious demeanor, but yes, it would be you know I believe so a different light, absolutely. Your number six, Mister Van Dyke. Yes, so my number six is uh, Matt Holiday. Um, spent six years with the Rockies. He was our leader um, going into the 2007 World Series. Uh, in 2007, he had 36 home runs. Uh, 137 RBIs and batted 340. So you can kind of imagine when you had him hitting the three hole and then Todd Helton hitting the four hole. Uh, it, was, it was pretty pretty vicious. So he was a three time All Star with the Rockies. Uh, he was the MVP runner up in 07. Just kind of tells you what kind of year he had. 
Um, and he was also a huge, you know, huge clubhouse leader. And uh, also, Matt Holiday, he would hit, especially in batting practice. I remember, you know, I used to get there early for work, and um, the guys would be taking BP. And I remember Matt Holiday hitting concourse shots. And this is even before I worked. I guess this is when I was going as a fan, you know, going early, getting the BP balls, getting the players to sign them. But his concourse home runs at Coors Field reminded me of Giancarlo Stanton when he was with the when he was with the Marlins and he'd come to Colorado and they would just they'd pepper the scoreboard. I mean, it was unbelievable. So yeah, Matt Holiday is is my number six. And then Greg, I'll ask you what's uh, going into five. What's your what's your five hole? I feel like we're not varying too much and we're kind of compressing the conversation a little bit, James, because my number five is Matt Holiday. And I think it's because of the impact he had on them in 2007. And the numbers were gaudy that season. 340 batting average, 36 homers, 137 RBI, which led the National League. He led the NL in doubles with 50. Like you said, finished second in the MVP voting. He won the Silver Slugger Award three straight years from 2006 to 2008. All of those all-star appearances. A homegrown Rocky, which I think is really important. In this situation, honestly, to me, kind of sad that he ended up playing more years with the Cardinals than he did with the Rockies, but he came back to the Rockies at the end of his career. And do you know where his first game was? I know that you and I talked about this. You know where his first game was back in the Rockies organization? Um, Oakland? I don't remember. Where it was, was in it? Grand Junction. Oh, Grand, that's right. That's right. Grand Junction Rockies. The Pioneer League affiliate of the Colorado Rockies. And, you know, I think when you talk about Matt Holiday, you just talk about somebody that he could have been a legend in the franchise, had a big impact on them while he was there, put up gaudy numbers in 06, 07, less gaudy in 2008, although he still hit over 300. I mean, that's the thing about Holiday and why he's as high-ranked as he is for me is that he hit for power, but he also hit for a high average and had a gaudy on-base percentage. And those are reasons enough to put him in my top five. So who's your number five? And I feel like your number five is going to end up being my number four unless we somehow vary this up here. No. Um, so my number five, it is different. Um, it's a multi multiple group of guys. It's actually the Blake Street Bombers. So it's not just one person. It's five different players, um, you know, led by obviously manager Don Baylor, the Blake Street Bombers. It was the the group from, I'd say, 94 to, to 98. Um, that was just, you know, no pitcher wanted to come to Coors Field and pitch to these guys. Uh, this was a pre humidor era so the baseballs were flying um the blake street bombers uh andre scalaraga Vinny castilla larry walker dante bichette and ellis burks um, larry walker dante and ellis they were the outfield Vinny obviously third base and andres uh, played first base um you you kind of mentioned Vinny and his stats and um the big cat his stats as well just just gaudy numbers uh no one wanted to come to coors field and, and face these guys um, Larry Walker, I, we'll get to him and, and Bichette here in a little bit. Um, Ellis Burks, though, in 1996, he was kind of the guy who, you know, he was probably the least spoken of, of out of the, all the Bombers. He wasn't really, he didn't hit as many home runs as these other guys, but in 1996, he hit uh, 344, and he led the league with 392 total bases, and he was actually third in um, the MVP votes. 
So, I mean, you can imagine, Greg, if you were a pitcher, if I was pitching, I mean, I could not go against these guys. I wouldn't want to. I don't know what I would do. You know, I'd try and back them off the plate. The next thing you know, they're probably hitting it 500 feet. (laughs) I like the fact that you took a group of guys, which shows you how much that collective of guys ended up meaning to you. One of those guys is number four for me, and that's Dante Bichette. And Dante Bichette was a guy that you did not want to face from 1995 until 1999, his last year with the Rockies. He had over 100 RBI every year. He hit over 30 homers three times during that span. During his entire Rockies career, which spanned seven years, he hit 316, 201 homers, and on base of 352. He finished second in the MVP voting in 1995, where he hit 40 homers, which led the NL, and had 128 RBI, which led all of Major League Baseball. He also had a National League best 620 slugging percentage, and a National League best 359 total base amount. Three straight All-Star teams from 94 to 96 also made the All-Star team in 1998 and won the Silver Slugger Award in 1995, where he finished second in the MVP voting behind Barry Larkin. So that year, he had 64% of the first place vote, or 64%, 64% of the total vote, and Larkin had 72%. Dante Bichette is somebody that is kind of forgotten when it comes to baseball lore, but his numbers in Colorado were as good as anybody during that time period, and his son Bo might end up even being a better hitter once he finally reaches the majors. Yes, absolutely. I, uh, I've i enjoyed watching his son play um, for Toronto. I think Toronto's got a, a great team, um, you know, a young team, but they'll be good here in a couple years. But yeah, my number four as well is, is Dante Bichette. Um, everything you just said, you know, plus um, the mullet, the flow, you know, the shades in the 90s. He, he kind of had the look to go with the stature. Um, he was a great player. Um, when I was, you know, talking to my parents, I asked my dad, hey, give me the top 10 list of, of Rockies in your opinion. Dante Bichette was in, uh, I think he was number five in his list. So uh, he was known. He was very well loved in Colorado. Um, great baseball player. Yes, I think, you know, unfortunately, due to Coors Field, due to the high altitude, yes, balls do fly further, but I don't think that deserves to make anyone overlooked or, or cheated upon, I would say, in a couple cases. But Dante Pichetta, yeah, he had a great season, or, or excuse me, great years in Colorado. Um, yeah, wonderful player. So I'll go into number three. Is uh, my, my number three is Nolan Arenado. Crickets, crickets, right? <laughs> Just kidding, Greg. Nolan Arenado, he was uh, obviously an amazing, amazing third baseman. Probably the best third baseman in the league. Um, he's won seven gold gloves in a row. Um, I'll make a joke that in 2013, when I got my first job at Coors Field, that's when Nolan, uh, that was his rookie season. So I remember watching Nolan from the get-go and, you know, watching his at-bats and stuff. Batting practice, he had great power, great power. He could hit to all sides of the field. But then during the games, you know, he was he was a gap to gap guy, and um, and I know it was year three when he really broke out and, and hit forty two home runs. So Nolan was, I mean, fantastic highlight reel. You know, one of my favorite plays is is him in in San Francisco when he's running towards the tarp and he jumps, leaps, makes that catch, and, and almost does a whole flip, but still has the whereabouts 
to turn around and throw that baseball to third because you know a guy is tagging up from second to third. I mean, just incredible baseball player. You know, leads by example. Uh, I mean, he he will be. I hope he stays a Rocky forever, but uh, but we'll see. So, Greg, what's your who's your number three? My number three is also Nolan Arenado, and the last five years for him have been insane. He's had over 100 RBI in each of those three years. He's had over 130 RBI in three of those years. So of the five years that I just mentioned, he had 130 in 2015, led all of Major League Baseball, 133 in 2016, which led all of Major League Baseball, did not lead baseball in RBI in 17, although he had 130 there. From 15 to 18, or rather, pardon me, from 15 until 2019, this past year, he's been over 37 homers every year. He's been over 40 homers three of those years. He has been in the top six in the MVP voting in each of the last four years. He's won the Gold Glove Award five straight years. He's a four-time Silver Slugger Award. Sorry, I can't read. He's won the Gold Glove every year he's been in the big leagues. Like, he's that good of a defensive player. He's been in the bigs for seven full seasons, and he's won the gold glove every single year. And he has not hit below 280 in six straight years. He's been above 285 each of the last six seasons. The Rockies locked him up long term. He is a bona fide superstar. And the fact that they're even considering trading him is absolutely ludicrous. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that 100%. You know, if, if, uh, but before that, if you have any kids at home or anyone who's listening, man, go please watch highlights of Nolan Arenado and he will show your, your son or daughter how to field a ground ball, how to take batting practice. I mean, the man, he's a magician out there. He is a, he's just a human highlight reel. But yeah, we did lock him up long term. Um, that was amazing. Yeah, this offseason, uh, there, there was some, you know, I think the media kind of blew it up a little more than it was. Uh, when he got back to spring training, the start of it before um, everything that's happened lately and the delay of baseball, uh, things were good in the clubhouse. I know he had conversations with the GM and the owner. Uh, things are good there. He's happy to be around his players, his team. I mean, he cares more about baseball than anything else. So uh, we're happy. We love Nolan. Uh, he is a he is a fan favorite for sure in Denver. Um, so we're, we're happy he's going to stick around long term. So, Greg, uh, you go first. Who's your number two? I think that the end of our lists are going to be identical. I mean, probably hell, so. Probably they've so. been <laughs> identical for they've been identical most of the way. It's the recently elected, not yet inducted Hall of Famer, Larry Walker. And Larry Walker is somebody that had two careers that were great with two different organizations, the Expos and the Rockies. When he came to Colorado, though, that's when he really became a powerful superstar. His first season in Colorado, 1995, 36 homers, 101 RBI, hit 306 with a 381 on base percentage, finished seventh in the MVP voting. His best season, though, came in 1997, wins his only MVP award, hit 49 homers, 130 RBI, hit 366 with a 452 on base, which led the National League, a 720 slugging percentage which led all of Major League Baseball, led all of baseball with 409 total bases that season. He had 46 doubles to go along with those 49 homers. He had four triples. So he had 99 extra base hits that season. 99! 
Insanity. And he always hit for a high average. He hit 363 in 1998, 379 in 1999 to go along with 37 homers and 115 runs driven in. Plagued by injuries in 2000, comes back in 2001, hits a league-leading 350 with 38 homers and 123 RBI. This guy always had a high batting average. He always had a high on-base percentage, and he hit the ball out of the yard. And in his 10 years in Colorado, he ended up with a career 334 batting average with 258 of his 383 homers. I'm sure that this guy's your number two, so if he's not, tell me why. But if he is, add something that you think is significant from the Rockies fan perspective. Yeah, so um, Larry Walker is my number two. Uh, his uh, his jersey will get retired, hopefully this season, um, if not next. Um, what I remember growing up, and you know, this is some of the earliest ball games I ever went to. And actually, funny enough, uh, my first ball game, my first Rockies baseball game, was not at Coors Field. It was actually at High Corbett in Tucson, Arizona, during spring training. And so that's when I first heard. Um, the old Rockies public address announcer, his name was Alan Roach. And when he would call players, he would do it in his own his own way, like many public address announcers do. So when Larry came up to the plate, this is what he would do. And granted, I'm not Alan Roach, so, <laughs> so bear with me. He'd go, so up to bat, number 33, Larry Walker. And he'd do that. Every single time, but that, I mean, I'll never forget that. He did that with uh, something similar with Dante Bichette as well. Um, we loved it though. We loved it in Colorado. Um, people, I mean, you'll probably go to the ballpark. No one's talking about Larry, but you'll be sitting there listening, you know, watching the game and you'll probably hear Larry Walker. So that's one of the, you know, kind of sentimental uh, memories I have of Larry Walker you know, besides the amazing player he was, um, he's meant more to that fan base. And and from what I've heard and known and read, that he is actually going in as a Colorado Rockies. So thank you. Thank you, Larry, for doing that. Uh, we love you back home. And, um, yeah, that's uh, that's me for Larry Walker, I guess, Craig. I guess our number ones are the same. Should we just try and talk at the same time? Or do you want to go first or me go first? I'll just sort of lead it off with the statistics, but I do want to wrap one thing on Larry Walker. The video of him being told that he got elected, he's on his back porch wearing a SpongeBob shirt, which I think is one of the best parts about all of this. (laughs) Yes, that is hilarious. I've seen that. (laughs) So number one is the Todd father, Todd Helton. And Todd Helton is, like you said, Mr. Rocky. He spent his entire career with the franchise from 1997 to 2013, all 17 years of his big league career. Helton from 1999 until 2004 hit over 30 homers every season. He had over 100 RBI from 99 to 2003. Helton never won an MVP award. He finished second in the Rookie of the Year voting in 1998. He made the all-star team every year from 2000 until 2004. His best finish in the MVP was in 2000, where he led all of baseball with 147 RBI and led baseball with a 372 batting average, probably as close as any Rocky will get to winning the Triple Crown Award. Granted, in the year 2000, Barry Bonds hit 46 home runs. There were other guys that were hitting 50-plus homers that year, but probably the closest that any Rocky has been 
to winning the Triple Crown. And James, I'm just going to kind of let you take it away because you saw him when you were young in his prime, and and he's a guy that hit for power, had a lot of doubles too. You know, Lots he of had... doubles. That's right. He he that uh, left center gap was his favorite. He would take that kind of low outside fastball, you know, extend the arms and just drive it left field, left center. I mean, he would do that consistently all day long. Uh, you know, Todd Helton, yeah, the 17 years he played, um, super clutch. Uh, my girlfriend, Brianna, that's her favorite player. Her favorite number is 17. Um, it was cool. I actually got to work to um, Todd Helton's Jersey retirement day. And that's when we saw guys like Brad Hopp and, and Aaron Cook and, and Jeff Francis, these guys from 07 and um, Clint Barmas. Loved Clint Barmas as well. There you guys go for the shout outs. Um, but Todd Helton, yeah, he was uh, Mr. Dependable. I mean, he was kind of Superman. There was a lot of years when the Rockies weren't very good, um, but Todd Helton was was our captain. He was our leader. Um, he played every day. He had a, a sweet, a slick glove at first base. Um, he was fantastic, very smart baseball player. Uh, he uh, he deserves, I know he was on the ballot this year for the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, and I believe that he'll get in um, in due time. So amazing guy, uh, like love, love Todd Helton. Uh, one of my favorite plays, and I'm sure you've seen it. It's uh, it's against the Cardinals. Um, it's a pickoff throw to first base, and uh, Matt Carpenter he slides in, he stands up. You know, Todd Helton fakes that he throws the ball back to the pitcher. He's holding it. First base coach doesn't notice it. Matt Car- Matt Carpenter steps off the bag. Next thing you know, Todd Helton's tagging him for like you're out. You know, just a trick play, just smarts his wits. Uh, amazing guy, amazing player. Um, you know, thank you also. Shout out to Todd for bringing Peyton Manning to the Denver Broncos. Um, they both played together in Tennessee. Todd Helton was the backup quarterback to Peyton Manning. Um, so that was uh, that was big as well. And uh, yeah, cheers to you, Todd. I hope retirement, you and Larry and everyone else is going great for you guys. Um, but yeah, thanks for all the amazing years. I think Todd Helton will be in the Hall of Fame. I think that playing his entire career in Colorado is going to be what goes against him. And that's obviously, that's nothing against the Rockies franchise. It's just the fact that people judge Colorado players differently because of the elements. And a lot of his career was played before they put the humidor into effect. So people are going to take that into consideration, but I absolutely believe that he probably should be a Hall of Famer. Uh, Any final words before we say goodbye here on our Top 10 Rockies edition of MLB Morning Coffee? You know, Greg, I'm curious. You're you're a baseball guy. You've been around a long time. What does Colorado or Coors Field have to do? You know, they have the humidor. They've they've put up extended netting, you know, around the outfield. Yes, granted, the outfield, the grass is huge. It's a a huge outfield, a lot of space to cover. But what more kind of steps would they have to take to kind of get that label maybe brushed aside just a tad more, you know, to make it a little even, you know, more even playing field for, for the Rockies players. I mean, it's just the environment that the ballpark is in. I mean, you and I both worked in the pioneer league. I've been to every pioneer league ballpark. It's one of the most hitter friendly minor leagues in all of baseball. You've got elevations that are almost equal to that of Denver, Colorado. And, I just don't know what you can do. I mean, I just feel like it's the cards that you've been given. I feel like the humidor has certainly helped. Other than extending the fences out, I just don't know what more 
you can do. And I feel like there's a bit more respect now than there was back in the day. But I think where you're going to end up getting more and more respect for Colorado overall is if you have elite pitching. And you had elite mm-hmm. pitching a couple of years ago with Kyle Freeland and John Gray. But until you get a consistent starting pitcher that is keeping the ZRA under 3-5 every single year, or heck, even for that matter, even four, under like a 3-8, yeah. I think, or under 4, yeah, mm-hmm. then you're not going to necessarily get the same amount of respect. But I certainly think that Colorado, as the ballpark goes, is held in a lot higher regard than it was even 10 years ago. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. It's it's hard to do. You know, you can't change the elevation and where it sits. So, um, but yeah, the pitching in general, man. And I think we could be right there this year. I mean, we have all the same guys. Last year was just kind of a fluke season. You know, Kyle got um, hurt early and he kind of led us um, two years ago. He was, he was the ace. Um, Jermaine Marquez, shout out, great pitcher, young guy. We, we locked him up for a couple years. Um, I'm looking forward to watching him pitch some more. And and then John Gray as well, just continuing to get better and um, product out of uh, Oklahoma. Great pitcher. Um, we have what it takes. I, I, I firmly believe that. The hitting will catch up. Uh, but, yes, the numbers, if you can keep it, you know, most teams, yeah, if you can, you know, have a three, a sub three ERA in Colorado, sub four, you know, you're doing just fine. James Van Dyke, thanks so much for joining us, buddy. Yes, thank you, Greg. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. James Van Dyke, the assistant general manager for the Sioux Falls Sunfish and a lifetime Colorado Rockies fan, a former Rockies employee. That's going to do it for this top 10 edition of MLB Morning Coffee. Have a great rest of your day. We'll be back with another top 10 list soon. And as always, we'll catch you in the AM.